All right, welcome one family, and that is the heart of what we're doing, jumping into the Word. Give yourself to the Word of God. And I want to thank you for joining us, especially at all of our campuses here at Plano. Could you help us welcome Dallas and Louisville and Prosper as they join in? We're so glad that everybody's together and online, OCC Global. Thank you for jumping in, and what an honor it is to be able to share the Word. And just keep praying with me for our pastor, because when Jada said she's got those 15 things to do, I've got about 20 or 30 things that he's still sending me in a text. So we're praying for him that he can come back full of strength and passion, and that his voice will be flowing so well. Now, when we saw that video, and when we look at Colossians, we've been learning a whole lot through Colossians. And what I've personally learned is that a lot of us, some of us in here, some of us watching, when we jump in and when we get doing what we're doing, there's a few of us in here who are adrenaline junkies. Maybe you know who you are. You like a rush. Maybe you have a need for speed. Maybe, maybe you like to go fast. Maybe you like to live on the edge. Maybe, maybe that is who you are. Maybe you have been described as extreme. Is that you? Are you extreme? Are you on the edge? Do you like adrenaline? I'm going to tell you what, that's not me, okay? <laughs> I like to remain calm. Now, one of my family's bucket list items, we got to do two weeks ago. My wife's bucket list item was that we would take a family trip and go skiing. <laughs> yes, family trip skiing, first time. So we had the awesome opportunity to get to go to Colorado. So first of all, going skiing, first time, maybe the Rocky Mountains in Colorado is not the best idea, but... We're going to go all in, right? So we're at the Rocky Mountains. We're in Colorado. We're going up 12,000 feet in altitude over two miles high. It sounds like a great idea to go on this family skiing trip, to go up to the top, right? The thing we didn't calculate was what the trip to the top was going to look like. All right. So we got the car. We're staying at the hotel. I've calculated it out. It's a 68-mile trip to where we're going from Denver to Arapahoe Basin. So we get in the car and we're driving, and I've got good news for you. The first 60 of the 68 miles is on a full-on highway. So we're trucking it. We're going 70 miles an hour, four lanes. It is all good, right? And then comes the exit to go to the ski resort. Eight miles from the exit to the ski resort, right? So this is going to be good. We've already been 60 miles. We've got eight more miles to go. So we get off on the exit. Everything seems cool. And then all of a sudden, we kind of make a turn and start going up. And saw all kind of warning signs about grade and slope. And I've never seen these kind of signs on roads before. We start going, and maybe you've, maybe you've seen or maybe you've been there where you're traveling on the road, and it's like the road you're on is curving around the mountain and on the side. I'm not talking about like a big show. I'm talking about right there is the cliff going down. And I don't know what genius thought we don't need to put rails there for safety. So here we are driving around this mountain. And remember, I told you, I'm not the adrenaline guy. So I'm as tense as you can be. Ten and two, going up this mountain. Now, the good news was it hadn't snowed in about a week or so. The road was completely dry. Everything's going good. It's actually like 40 degrees. It's, it's decent weather. And we're going up. And we're probably halfway up. And um, this is where my heart's even beating thinking about it. Um, some of the snow had melted and it had come down across the road that we were on. And overnight, because it was early, because we had to get there early, it had iced over. So here we are going and we make one of those turns around where we're on the side on the edge and there's about a three foot piece of ice and we hit that ice and our car skids. 
that is where adrenaline kicks in. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where something hits you that you didn't expect. And my, my daughter, my 13-year-old, she called it an NDE. She called this a near-death experience. <sighs> Adrenaline kicks in, and then you either fight or you flight. You're gonna, I'm going to lean into this, or I'm going to get scared to death and just stop. And me, I'm more of a flight person. I'm not the fight person, but everything's going chaos in the car right now. Now, good news, I figured, yeah, I rented a Jeep. I've got four-wheel drive, even though I didn't know it. I didn't even have it in four-wheel drive because I didn't know what I was doing. So we're here. We hit the ice. We go to the edge. Everybody loses it. I lose it. And we're freaking out like, oh, my gosh, we need to slow down. Get over a little bit more. Go this way. Is there going to be more ice? What's going to happen? All this adrenaline's flowing through the car. There's tears. It's me. I have a wife. I have two daughters. So it's me and three females. Everybody's losing it. Luckily, about another half mile up, there's this little part where you can pull over. They must have known there was going to be somebody like me. So I pulled over, stopped the car, and just breathed. My kids are in the back seat. Daddy, we don't want to go skiing. We're good. Can we go back home? Whatever. And in my head, we've been 64 miles. Four more miles and we can make it. And everybody's calculating. We can go back. It's all good. We can turn this whole thing around. I'm thinking in my head, I can do it. If I've got to drive five miles an hour, I'm making it to this ski place. So we're going. So we decide, okay, I'm going to do this. And my wife tells my kids, just put your head down and don't look out the window. They're crying and praying and a mixture of everything. And um, <laughs> praise the Lord. It finally got a little bit better. I went really slow. We hit no more ice, and we finally made it to the ski resort. Now, that was the, <laughs> the rush of adrenaline. When crisis hits, something turns on inside of us. Now, for us and our family, the good news is we went, and even after that traumatic experience, we still had fun. Look, here's a picture of us on a ski lift together. Here we are. Here's the family. We had fun. We all got on the ski lift. And, and I want y'all to know that we still made it. There we go. See? Yeah, we were a little, a little excited there. And that was a little bit of an extreme thing for all four of us to be on a lift together at the same time also. Because if you know anything about skiing, the hardest part's getting off the lift. And it's like spaghetti getting tangled up. And then every, but it's awesome. We had so much fun. Now, after we skied, lunchtime came, and we went to eat lunch. And I learned a little bit about this fight or flight and adrenaline. I learned it's all about perspective. We asked the lady that was our waitress as we were eating, because we're halfway through the day, and in the back of our head, we're starting to think, oh, Lord, we got to go back the same way we came. We said, is there another way to get, oh, is there another way to get home? any other way we can go and then the, the waitress asked she said well which way did you go we said well we came around this thing called Loveland Pass where you're on the side and she just kind of chuckled she was like oh that's the adventurous way that's the cool way that's the scenic way that's where you get to see everything and I'm like no it's not cool it's not adventurous it's not scenic but she loved it some people love the adrenaline some people love the rush she was like actually there's another way you can go man it's like 10 miles out of your way I don't know where you why you would want to go that way I'm like 10 miles, 20 miles, 100 miles. If there is another way, I will take it. So she pointed us in that direction. We asked a couple more people. They were all shocked that we had, on our first time, done this crazy way. And I learned what adrenaline was. And I saw people going down skiing, and I'm on the beginner slope. There was one that actually said, easiest way down. I followed that one the whole way down every time I went. Some people live and thrive on adrenaline. Some of us, adrenaline causes us to... To, to, to tighten up and to protect ourselves. 
But some of us are adrenaline junkies. I want to read to you the definition of an adrenaline junkie. It's a phrase used to describe people who enjoy intense, thrilling activities that generate an adrenaline rush. All you rush lovers, you, you know it if you love to rush. Other terms include sensation seekers, adventurers, thrill seekers. These are the type of people who like skydiving, extreme sports, or potentially dangerous lines of work like firefighting or emergency rescue. What happens is some people get addicted, where I'm not addicted to it. Some people actually get addicted to the adrenaline. And what happens is they need that adrenaline because they have the adrenaline, they have the rush, and then they come back down and crash. Then they need that rush, and then they come back down and crash. And the adrenaline is all about them wanting this rush, this feeling, this excitement, and they become addicted to the adrenaline. And my fear today is that we have too many Christians who are addicted to the adrenaline of Sunday morning. Too many Christians who this is your entire life, coming to church Sunday morning. Now, I'm not saying coming to church and being a part of an experience is wrong, but what I am saying is what happens is we get tempted over time to follow and to get a rush out of coming to church and to get this feeling out of coming to church that we should have every day of our life. But we have this rush and this adrenaline when we walk into these rooms, when we tune in online, and we have this rush and it keeps us going. But God's saying, I don't want you to just be on adrenaline. I want you to have this every day in your Christian walk. I want to give you some signs that you might be an adrenaline-addicted Christian. You'll see this on your notes. Signs of an unhealthy dependence on adrenaline. If you're online, you'll see a link that you can click on. You can go to our webpage to get the sermon notes. I want to give you some signs. There's three on here. I want to give you a few more. You might be an adrenaline-addicted Christian if you long for the applause of the crowd. You love the stage. You love people to recognize you. You might be addicted to adrenaline. You might also be an adrenaline-addicted Christian if you, you have to be super excited. You have to hype yourself up to come to church every single week. I've got to get hype. I'm going to do this. This is what's going to give me energy. Or you might be addicted to adrenaline at church if you can't imagine what would happen if you missed a Sunday morning. You might also be an adrenaline-addicted Christian if, if you need worship to be at least 30 minutes to get you all the way in. <laughs> like, like 20 minutes isn't good enough. I need at least 30 minutes, and I need a song where they hit that beat just right to take me all the way in. Or you might be addicted if you have to have a specific kind of song, a specific preference you have in worship. You might be addicted to adrenaline if you come to church or you're watching and you serve online, you serve in person, just so that you can feel needed. That's feeding your adrenaline. Now, here's the deal. When you get fed on adrenaline it's kind of like the person you know do you have that person in your life who's always hopped up on energy drinks they've always got a red bull they've always got a monster they've always got a starbucks they've always got something i'm like can you just chill and live that's what it's like when you come to church and all you said that's the same thing in church and sometimes we're too addicted to the rush we get and god's saying i've got something for you every single day sometimes it's not just the rush sometimes you need to just hush and be still, and walk, and follow Jesus in every single thing we do. You shouldn't need a jump start every day. Every Sunday, you shouldn't need somebody to come give you a jump start. All right, now I'm good. Here's the way you know you're addicted to adrenaline. 
If Sunday morning is like, I need Sunday morning to get my week started. This is how I get going. Give me a jump start, then I'm going to make it through the week. You might be addicted to adrenaline. But instead of adrenaline, anointing says, being filled with God's spirit says, you know what? Sunday morning isn't how I start my week, but I've been following Jesus all week, and Sunday morning is just the overflow of what's already been happening in my life. That's God's design for worship. You know what? I'm following you, I'm walking with you, and it just overflows. Now, there might be some overlap, and you might be working your way toward that, and that is what we're going to talk about today. How can I walk as a believer every single day of my life? And in the book of Colossians, the first two chapters, what God shows us is all the things Jesus Christ has done for us. And in the next three chapters, it's all the things he wants to do through us. We learned about his preeminence and his supremacy and how good God is and how all powerful Jesus is. And now in chapter 3, we're going to learn how we walk out what he's already taught us. And in chapter 3, we started with the glory of God and his glory living inside of us. And then we learned about the garments. There's some things we have to take off and some things we have to put on. And now we're going to see how we walk in his glory. That's where we're at today in Colossians chapter 3. I want to invite you to read with me. If you could for just a moment, I want to ask you to stand as we read God's word. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. Here it is. It's going to be on the screen. Let's read this together, church family at home, at our campuses, in the house. Let's read it. Let's start this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, I want to, I just, before we even pray, there's one word that shows up in this passage three times, every single verse. Did you catch it? Be thankful. Give thanks. Have thankful hearts. Thankful shows up every single verse. There's something about everything we're going to talk about today that is unlocked with a heart of gratitude. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. Right now, would you give us a heart of gratitude? Would you speak to us? And God, would you show us how we can not be addicted to the adrenaline, but how we can walk in your anointing and how we're not looking for the next fix, but every single day, how we can live this out so that we're following you more passionately. God, would you speak to our hearts today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, everyone. Now, uh, this is a powerful passage, and there's three main thoughts that we're going to weave through in this passage of how we walk out what God wants to do through our lives. The first one is said is, let peace rule. Let peace rule. Now, to tell you about peace, I want to give you a theology lesson um, that many of you learned when you were kids. Um, it's the, called the, the theology of the three little pigs. See, there were three little pigs, and they had a mother pig, and they ran short on food, so she sent the three little pigs out on their own, and they all built houses, right? One little pig built a house out of straw. He put it together real quick, and the story tells us he was lazy. Second little pig put in a little more work. He built his house out of sticks. A little bit more work, but he was still lazy, too, and it says they partied and sang and had a good old time. 
But there was a third little pig in the name of Jesus. That third little pig said, I'm going to use bricks. It says he put in some work. He spent some time. He did all of this effort building his house on the right foundation with the right materials. He did all the work while they were partying and having a good old time. They all had their house built. And then there was this guy named the Big Bad Wolf. And he was hungry. He saw these three little pigs and he said, I need you to get in my belly. So we went to the first pig, the one built with the house out of straw. He said, hey, I want you to come out of here and get in my belly. And that pig said, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And the big bad wolf said, I'm going to huff and I'm going to puff and I'm going to blow your house down. And he blew and the house went crazy. It just got demolished and that pig took off and he ran to his other pig friend's house made out of sticks. So the wolf chased him down. He said, I want you two pigs to come out. They said, not by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. He said, I'm going to huff, I'm going to puff, I'm going to blow your house down. And he blew, and the house was demolished. They ran to their friend who, in the name of Jesus, built his house out of bricks. All three pigs are in there. Big bad wolf comes, and he says, hey, I need all three of you to come out. I'm hungry. I need you to get in my belly. They said, not by the hair on our chinny-chin-chin. He said, that's all good. I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff, and I'm going to blow your house down. But something different happened. When he blew and when he brought all he had, guess what? It was all good. A picture of peace is those three little pigs in that brick house. When the enemy comes at you and he brings his best, when he's raging, when he's bringing storms at you, when he's trying to demolish everything around you, peace says, I can still sit here still because I've built my house on the right foundation. Peace doesn't mean the enemy runs away. Peace means even though the enemy's here, I'm secure in what I've got in Jesus Christ. That is the picture of peace that God wants us to walk in. He wants us to have peace in every single area of our life. He doesn't want us to be scared. He doesn't want us to be filled with anxiety. He wants us to have peace and not worry. Now, how do we have peace? If you flip open your notes, you'll see on here we've got a dashboard. We've got a peace dashboard and things that try to rob us of our peace. I want to tell you how we can mess up our peace because God says, I need you to walk in peace like those three little pigs. I need you to be chilling when everything's going crazy. Now, we've got a dashboard for you to evaluate your peace. I want to tell you about peace. I've got something I want to show you over here. Um, Peace is all about, number one, you having the right intake in your life. It's about what you let come into your life. If you let the wrong things come in, guess what? You will not have peace. So what you've got to do, what I've got to do is have the right things come in. Now, these ping pong balls, these all represent all the wrong things that we let come into our life. You want to know how to figure out what's coming into your life? Just think about what you do in the morning. When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Maybe is check your Instagram account. And start scrolling through to see how everybody else is doing in their world today, even though it's still 6 a.m. Maybe you turn it on and you go to Facebook and you want to scroll and scroll. Or maybe you turn it on and check all your text messages and you're putting these things in. Or maybe for you, you're a workaholic. You want to turn it on and look at your schedule. What all do I have on my schedule today? And you start thinking about what's on your schedule. Or maybe you want to go through and look at your emails. And you're saying, what, 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 who's, who's emailed me overnight that I need to be worried about this early in the morning? What is it for you that you're putting in? 
Maybe it's thoughts of other people or maybe you're freaking out because of what you have to do today or this week and people have said, they put stuff on you. They've said, you know what? Uh, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to be filled with my problems. People put their stuff on you. And all these things is what happens is people come in and we let things come into our life and they fill us up. And this vase right here is us. And before our day has even got started, we're filled with all the wrong things. And guess what? As these things all come into our life, we get full and we've got no space for anything else. This is our life. This is what we've let come into our body. This is what we let come to our mind. And we wonder why we can't get anything right for the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the year, because we put all the wrong things in. Now, here's what God says. I need you. I I need you to. You've got all the wrong stuff. I need you to start working on that. So God says, you know what? I need you to start putting in some of the living water. Instead of putting in the wrong things, there's only one way to get rid of the wrong things. This water right here, this is the living water. God says, what I need you to do is I need you to start jumping into my word. I need you to start reading and memorizing scripture. I need you to start doing all these things. Now, check this out. When I first start doing this, when I start, first start pouring the living word into my life, man, it don't look like nothing's changing, does it? <laughs> oh, Lord. You see, we start doing the right things. I'm going to get in church. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to do all these things. Why hasn't anything changed? Because it takes a little time. It takes a little intentionality. It takes a little bit of planning, a little bit of consistency. And as you keep doing it, check this out. You're going to keep doing this, and you're pouring God's word into your life. And as you're trusting him, you're following him, what's going to happen is over time, oh, Lord, what's going to happen is over time, something's going to change. And these, oh, Lord Jesus, as you pour in, there becomes a point in time where things start to change and your life starts to look a little bit better because you've got some God in your life, right? And as God fills you, you're saying, oh, i got some God. i still got some of this other junk in my life. And the temptation is to say, once I get right here, guess what? I'm all good. <laughs> I've got some God in here. I look a little bit better. And this is the picture of a double-minded believer. This is the picture of somebody who says, I've got some good in me, and won't he do it, and praise the Lord at church, but you know what, I still need to do my thing on Saturday night, I still need to, but God says, you know what, I need you to keep pouring, because as you keep pouring, as you keep pouring, something special is going to happen, keep on pouring, keep on pouring, keep on pouring, and God says, as you fill me, oh, look at there, as you fill me, guess what, all that stuff just skims off the top and says, now you are filled with my spirit, but that's not where it ends. God says, you've reached a point where now you have been filled with me. Now you are all you're designed to be. Now you're walking in who I've called you to be. Here is the best part, because now what happens when you're filled with God's word, and when you try to let one of these things come into you that used to come in, guess what? You let those things come in and all they do is sit up on the surface. It don't matter how hard I try to push them in, they keep popping back up. And no matter what the enemy tries to do, no matter what he tries to bring, when you're filled, you cannot let it in because God has created a barrier, a force field. There is an invincibility and when you stay filled, it is a daily thing you and I have to do. Those things cannot come in and invade our life as we're filled and as we keep our intake right. So you've got to judge, what am I intaking? 
What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to pour in? The next one is imbalance. So the next part on our dashboard is imbalance. Now, what I want you to do is just think of real quick, what are the top four or five priorities in your life? What are the top four or five priorities in your life? You might even narrow it down to the top two or three. What are the top two or three things in your life? I want you to examine those and think about those. Now what I want to ask you is do those priorities match up with where you put the majority of your time? And balance says I've got a few very important things in my life and I put all my time in other places. It says I get mixed up on what's urgent and what's important and I'm run by the urgent instead of the important. And imbalance creates a... a a, uh, um, we get off-centered, we get off-kilter, and imbalance causes pressure in our life. So what we've got to do is we've got to keep a balance of what's important and where we give our focus. The problem is we get this all mixed up. God says you've got to figure out what's important and pour your heart and your time into what is important so that you can keep a rhythm of balance in your life where sometimes certain things have to get said no to and certain things have to get said yes to and vice versa, and we have to make great decisions on the important things in our life. The third one is isolation. Where are you on the isolation uh, dashboard right here? What that means is don't fight your battles alone. The enemy wants you to fight alone, and he does not want you to know that there's power in standing with others in every struggle and battle you face. And I want to ask you, who is in your corner? When the battle gets rough, when the enemy's running up the score on you, when you've taken a jab and an uppercut and a hook, and you feel like you're down and out, who is in your corner fighting for you? See, there's a couple of things that come to our life. Sometimes there's challenges that we choose like our relationships, like our job, like our children. Sometimes there's challenges in our life that we don't choose. Like when a storm comes or illness or a crisis or an addiction. But you need people in your corner no matter which one of those hits you so that you can find new strength with those around you. If you have not invested in taking time to build connections and energy with others around you, you're going to be isolated when the battle comes to you. And the enemy's number one trick is to keep you isolated, to keep you where you have to think you have to fight this battle alone. And God says, no, 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 no one walks alone. You've got to have others. That's why we do life groups at our church. That's why we have online groups. That's why we have serving teams, because we know we need each other. We cannot do this alone. So what you've got to do and what I've got to do, we've got to evaluate our dashboard. Because this dashboard, when things get out of whack, guess what? We start to worry and get anxious and we have no peace. What are the three essentials of peace we see in this passage? Look in verse 15, what it says. Verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's three essentials we see in this passage. It says you were called, there's a body, and to be thankful. You need and I need each other. You see, there is a body of believers. It says we are members of one body. The Bible describes us as a building. It describes us as believers as a body. It describes us as a family, and it describes us as a vine. Because we need support, we need stability, we need life, we need growth, we need love, we need acceptance, and we need power. And all of those things come by being connected. And the second part of that is that we're called into one body. This is God's mission for us in life. And if we're called to unity, that means you cannot have peace in the absence of unity. 
You have to have unity to have peace. If you're walking alone, that means you are not called to have peace if you're walking alone. We need unity and community. And thirdly, we need to be thankful. Now I'm going to tell you what, to be thankful, that shows up in every verse. That means to have a heart of gratitude. Now there's the kind of kid gratitude and then there's adult gratitude. And we have to graduate from one kind of gratitude to another kind of gratitude. It is one thing to say, God, thank you for life. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the money I have in the bank account. It is one thing to give thanks for all those things we already have. But maybe you have someone in your life that you've seen give thanks in all things. Something special happens when we can give thanks in all things. Have you, have you ever seen that person in your life, no matter what happens to them, they're never rattled. They're always grounded in every single situation, and they have peace. You see, the kind of gratitude I'm talking about says, even though I lost my job, I can still give thanks. Even though I'm single and I thought I wouldn't be single anymore, I can still give thanks that I'm living the preferred life. Even though I'm sick and in the hospital, I can give thanks and I can say, it is well with my soul. That's the kind of gratitude that makes a difference in our life is when we can say, you know what, God, I can thank you for your provision, but now I'm thankful just for your presence. And in Psalm 23, David is saying, you know what, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you are with me. And God, I don't care about all the provisions. I can give thanks just knowing I have you in my life. That is the way we have peace, when we give thanks in every single situation, even when it doesn't make sense. God, I I don't even deserve anything, but I give thanks because you love me. We are to be thankful as believers in Jesus Christ. And something happens when we give thanks that it unlocks peace in our life. Look over to verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell within you. It says, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. You see, in the first verse, it said, let peace rule. That means let peace govern everything. Now it says, let the word of God richly dwell within you. Now, back in Colossians chapter 1, there was a verse in verse 27. It said, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me, that is the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. The news I want to share with you today is Christ does not want to be around you. Jesus does not want to be beside you. Jesus does not want to be in front of you. Jesus does not want to be behind you. He does not want to be to your left. Jesus does not want to be to your right. Jesus Christ says, I want to be in you. So no matter what situation you go through, you don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. He wants to be in you. And if glory had a hope, it's that he could reside in your house. God says, I want to be in you. And if I had to sum this up all in one word, it would be the word occupied. God says, can I occupy your life? Can I occupy your house? Can I occupy all that you are? Now, Martha Stewart got this right. Another theologian for you today. Martha Stewart said this when she's talking about homes that she wants to make over or renovate. Here's what Martha Stewart said. The homes I like the best are the ones that are totally occupied, busy, useful, whether it's a tiny house or a great big house. Rarely, though, do you find a great big house that's used in a good way. So I prefer smaller houses full of books, full of people, and full of things they are doing. You see, she nailed it. Believe it or not, houses are a lot like living things. They're meant 
to be occupied. And when a house goes vacant for too long, it actually starts to decay. Just leaving a house empty will lead eventually to its destruction. Now, we learned this in a very real way during COVID. You see, we had to shut down all of our campuses at our church. And what we realized after a few months, we went, checked out our campuses, and some things were happening that would not have normally happened if we had not been in the campus. So we had to create a team to every week or so go through and flush the toilets because decay had started to go around the toilets. We had to run the water fountains. We had to run the sinks. We had to vacuum. We had to treat that building as if it were still occupied because if it were not, it would decay. And our bodies, our soul, our spirit are just like these homes. You see, God needs to be in us. And when we are not occupied with him, when he's not dwelling inside of us, guess what? We start to decay. We start to go in the wrong direction. We start to slide downhill. God wants to occupy us. And he's saying, you know what? You can either be empty or you can be filled with the wrong things. Instead, I want you to be filled with the right thing. Let my word richly dwell inside of you. And to dwell means to permeate. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like. When we first meet God, it's in the book of Genesis. And what God is doing is he's created heavens and earth and the air and the sea and the birds and the fish. And then here he is with this pile of dust and clay and he's forming man. He's creating the first man. He's creating Adam. And as he does that, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then he breathed into his nostrils, and he filled man, and life happened. He breathed into his nostrils, and he filled man, and life happened. Life did not happen until God occupied man. And we have an image here of God breathing in and occupying someone. And God says, I want to permeate. I want to come inside of you and give life. And some of us are saying, you know what? I'm struggling at life. I feel like the wind has been knocked out of me. I feel like I can't breathe. And God's saying, the answer is, you need to let me occupy you. You need to let me come in. If you're gripped with pain, you need to let me occupy you and your house, your body, your soul, your spirit needs to be occupied with the word of God. And it's possible that he could come in and be in some rooms and not in all the rooms. And my question to you is if you've let God into some areas, but not all areas, then have you really let him in? God says, I want to occupy the whole house. I don't want any empty rooms. I don't want any empty spaces. I want to occupy you. I want to breathe life into you. Look at what this passage says in verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching. That's the word and admonishing others in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's singing and then singing with thankfulness in your hearts. That's prayer and giving thanks to God. That is our daily three. You see it in your notes right there. There's three things you've got to be doing every day if you're walking in the image of a healthy believer. There's three things. It's got to be filling your heart with scripture. That is the word of God. That is the bread of life. That's what we do every day. And here's the thing I hear from so many people. I don't know where to start. What book do I start in? John, Matthew, Genesis? That's the beginning. Where do I start? I've got news for you. You don't have to guess where to start. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to go online and Google it. I'm going to give you two places where you can start. 
Number one, you can tune in every morning. We do morning prayer at 645 online. That's one place you can start and look at the scripture that we talk about in that Devo time. That's one place. Number two, the second place you can start, if that doesn't fit you just right, is every single week you get a notes handout that's available on our webpage, on our app, and it's filled with scriptures that we teach about on Sunday. What better place to start than what's already been digested, prayed over, covered, and taught at our church? I did this last week. I don't know about you, but when Jada preached about can you afford the words coming out of your mouth, I needed that all throughout my week because I learned I can't always afford the things that I'm saying. So I already had scripture I could start reading every single day. And songs, some of you, you might know, in that if you, you know what, do you have that song that you can sing that when that song plays, it just takes you in? Think about that song for you. Some of us have that song that just takes you in. And you need to create a playlist so that when you're in the car, when you're in traffic, when those kids start stressing you out, ooh, I can just hit play and start singing and worshiping and remembering that God is the biggest thing in my life. And then prayer, giving thanks to, I'm not talking about the kind of prayer where we ask for everything. God, I need this. God, can you help me here? God, can you do this? God, can you show up here? I'm talking about the kind of prayer the apostle Paul prayed where he said, you know what, God, I just want to give thanks. I'm so grateful I'm even here. God, you've taken me from so far. It's the kind of prayer that says, God, I'm going to give thanks in all things. And what God says is when you do these daily three, when you pray, when you, when you read scripture, when you, uh, when, when, when you pray, when you read scripture, and when you're focused on God and you sing songs, God says, what happens is I'm going to create something in your life. Ooh, we're doing all kind of water today. I'm going to do something in your life. And what's going to happen is when you do this thing, all of a sudden, when you do these things, what it's going to do is it's going to overflow. You see right here, as you do these things, this is you at the top. And God says, when you pray and when you sing and when, when you're reading scripture, I'm going to overflow in your life. And then, then you got your family right here. And as you overflow, it blesses your family and those in the home around you. And then guess what? As you overflow into them, then it creates a chain reaction of overflowing. And then it overflows into the church and into the community. And then it overflows into school. And then it overflows into every aspect of your life, all because you chose to do the right things. It created a chain reaction of overflowing. And guess what? I'm not even pouring anymore, and it's still flowing. Because God says, when you drink of this water, when you drink of what I have, you will not thirst again. It will create a chain reaction of permeation, of saturation in your life. And God says, just get it started and then keep focusing on me and see how this is going to change every aspect of your life. And when you leave today, you're going to get a card that has your daily three so that you can be reminded every single day of the three that you need to be doing. Now, verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. Let's bring this thing home, y'all. Verse 17, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, many of us read this passage and we say, you know what? Whether I'm a CEO, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom, whether I'm a garbage collector, all I do, I'm going to do in the name of, I'm going to do everything in the name of the Lord. I'm going to make the best out of every situation. And that's all good, but I think there's a new layer to this passage that we've been missing. It says, do all you do in word or in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
It's in the name. It's that part that I think makes a powerful difference. It's in the name. And today we just do whatever we want with names. All kind of names are popular nowadays. But in the Bible, names had a very specific meaning. And God's name was, had the most meaning of them all. You see, when, when God was carving out the Ten Commandments for Moses, in the top ten there, right up with, with killing and with stealing And with adultery was you shall not take the Lord's name in vain because his name means something. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, we lift your name higher. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he said, Go therefore, make disciples and baptize them in the name of Jesus. There's something that happens when you do something in the name of someone. And God says, I want you to do all you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look what happens when you do something in the name of someone. You see, a name is an indicator about three specifics of a person. About his promise, about his purpose, and about his power. And everything we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're doing in his honor. We're following his promise, his purpose, and his power. And everything about who Jesus was, his goal was to connect heaven and earth. His goal was to bridge eternity and time. He was coming down from up there to down here. And when we do something in the name of Jesus, we have that same connecting power of bringing heaven to earth in every situation in our life. We've got that power when we do something in his name. Name makes a difference. There's promise in the name. So 1 Peter 1, 4, it says, by by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You see, his promises are real in our life, but his promises guide us into his presence. We can't just be okay with his promise. We've got to crave his presence in every single aspect of our life. His promise is that he will never leave us or forsake us. So when we do things in his name, he will never leave us or forsake us. And then his purpose in his name, his purpose. I talk to so many people, they say, I want to find my purpose. I want to know what my purpose is. What's the calling on my life? And when we do something in his name, we're following his purpose. And what we get caught up doing sometimes is saying, God, I'm going to make this big decision. I want you to help me. And and Father, God, would you help me when I go start this business? Would you help me when I go in this relationship? God, would you come along and be with me as I do this? And we've got it all mixed up. God says the right way to pray is to say, God, would you show me where you're already at work and then give me the eyes and awareness to be able to see it so I can join in what you're doing in your purpose. We get so caught up trying to find my specific purpose. You want to know what the Bible says? It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, it says, give thanks in all things because that's God's will for your life. You want to know God's purpose for your life? To give thanks in all things. And we get looking for this needle in a haystack. It's like there's so many things. And God, I'm trying to find the needle in a haystack. That's my purpose. Where is it in here? And that is a very depressing thing because what if I dive in and I I find a needle and then I find out, oh my goodness, this is my purpose. Ooh, no, that didn't go right. That wasn't my purpose. I need to dive back in and find that. And God says, you know what? It's not dependent on you finding your purpose. God says, don't look for the needle in the haystack. He says, I am the entire haystack. Just jump on into the haystack and walk with me and everything you do. Have peace. Give thanks. Dwell. And he says, your purpose is going to be unlocked in your eye if you will just be obedient to who I am. 
God says, I'm the haystack. Stop trying to find that one little thing. Just follow me and I'll show you what I can do in your life. Just jump on in. Come on. The last thing is, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And Paul said it best in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 10. He said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. But in God who raises up the dead, who delivered us from such great apparel of death and will deliver us, he whom we have set our hope, he will deliver us. Paul said, all of this mess I'm going through, I figured out I can't do it on my own. My only power rests in you, Jesus. And we get power and protection when we follow his purpose. Now, a couple months ago, we had this really crazy snowstorm in Dallas-Fort Worth. If you're anywhere near us here, you know that we had snow that shut everything down. Five, six, ten, depending on where you were, inches of snow. But what happened as a result of the snow was something crazy. Um, everybody started turning their heat up because it got so cold, and we had the energy crisis of Texas. Hundreds of thousands of homes lost their power. No power, some no water because pipes were busting. It created a tragic situation. Even in my family, some family members lost power, and they needed to come stay with us because guess what? My house had power. I was able to take some people in because I had power at my house, and then I sat, sat there and I just wondered with my family, why in the world did my house keep power when hundreds of thousands of others didn't keep power? And I started thinking, you know what? There, there was nothing I could have done to earn keeping power at my house. It was a choice that was made outside of me. You see, my power did not come from myself. It did not come from anything I generated. I couldn't earn it. I could not have paid extra to keep my power on. The only reason I had my, it wasn't my strategy that kept power on. The only reason I kept my power on is because I lived close to a fire station. Let me tell you what that meant. I had power. I kept power because of nothing I did, but it was because I was in close proximity to something that was really important. And the power was not going to go. It wasn't going to be drained. Because I was close to the firehouse, I kept my power. And what God's telling us today, he's saying, how close in proximity on a daily basis are you staying to my power source? Do you have the peace that surpasses all understanding? Are you willing to let me dwell richly, let my word saturate every area of your life? Are you willing to do everything you do in my name, the name of the Lord Jesus? God says when you do that, it's not just about what I've done for you. It's now you're going to get to see what I can do through you as you walk daily and follow Jesus Christ. Family, this is the picture of a healthy believer. In Jesus Christ. Father, right now, would you guide our hearts on how we can unlock the rooms in our life? God, would you help us to take the locks off the areas that we've been unwilling to give to you? God, would you help us to, to breathe in your life? Would you help us not to put the wrong things in and to put the right thing in from this day forward? Would you help us to lean on your word that never runs out? the water that never runs dry. And Father, help us not to believe anything that says that we can be okay without Jesus because that is a lie. 
God, all throughout Colossians, we've learned it's all about Jesus, 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 and more Jesus. So God, right here, we submit to your will today, and we give thanks because of who you are and how you want to work in us and through us. Father, would you continue to help us see and walk out this walk daily so that when we come to church, it's an overflow, it's not a kickstart. Would you help us to be that kind of Christian that follows in your anointing? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's praise God, one family, for his word, for Colossians. What an amazing time to jump in. Now.